0: Welcome to HashiCast, the self proclaimed number one podcast about the world of DevOps practices, tools, and practitioners. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the HashiCast. Today, I've got a very special guest, Jeff Sika. Jeff, could you please introduce yourself?
1: Um, Jeffrey, first of his name, from House Sika, keeper of the dashboard, uh, protector of CI signal at Red Hat. Uh, uh what else? My my uh, my family seal is definitely four cats with a dog in the middle because that's how many animals we have for a zoo. That's that's probably it. <laughs>
0: Do you do you have a tagline like "We don't sew" or anything like that?
1: Um, let's let's put it this way: all tests are green. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it.
1: <laughs> all the tests are green. We promise.
0: <laughs> if you uh, if you couldn't discern from that, uh, Jeff is a principal software engineer at Red Hat. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, friend of the show, uh, Jeff and I have done a lot of work in the Kubernetes space and, uh, gotten to meet IRL, uh, in the before times at, uh, at Disneyland and, uh, QB uh, it was, it was quite a lot of fun, but, uh, yeah. QB land. But, uh, yeah. We also are from the midwest uh we put the uh Michigan I'm from Ohio Jeff is from Michigan, and uh we don't hold that grudge against each other uh i I, I was born in Columbus Ohio uh, Jeff lives around detroit and and u of m so yeah we we're, we're we're friends you know we don't let that sports rivalry define us
1: only only one week out of the year
0: yeah that's it that's it yeah that's is that why you didn't get back to my messages okay yep we'll talk we'll talk about that later <laughs> um <laughs> uh, speaking about Michigan. Um, so you, did you start your career at university of Michigan? I, I I saw that you were there for like about 11 and a half years, just about. Um, I, I want to know what it was like working there and kind of like what your, what your come up story is, Jeff, what's your origin story?
1: That's, that's kind of weird. Um, let's, let's start at the very, very beginning. Um, I wound up being an intern at my school district when I was in high school. Uh, I was a network and systems, uh, administrator for uh, two of the elementary schools and a middle school. And that was like my junior and senior year pilot program kind of worked out really well. Um, And then after that, I got more into programming because I'd always dabbled in programming. Uh, I made a Smokey and the Bandit mud game. So like think just text input, you know, question answer type thing Uh, when I was like nine and I was obsessed with it. Uh, But I didn't really do much programming outside of like that. Uh, so I started teaching myself web development. And from the time I was like 18 to 19, I got really into web development and PHP. Um, I started at the university as a uh, like hardware support, um, simple things like replacing a keyboard and mouse up to replacing motherboards in the machines, and then got an opportunity to work in one of the departments in the Michigan Hospital, the University of Michigan Hospital. Um, The Department of Pathology. Most people think of pathology usually as the morgue and something very morose and morbid. It's not at all. Um, That's only one small department. If you are doing any lab work, um, if you have to get a biopsy, a lot of things like that, those go through pathology. So it was a very large and very active department. Uh, And that is also where I met my cohort my my partner in crime. I, I met him before then, but we started working together Bob Killen and I um, and that was actually 2005. I worked at the university longer than 11 and a half years um, yeah so as as people were going to college, I worked at the college uh, it's kind of a kind of a weird thing there but, um, it was it was interesting and i had a lot of opportunities to learn and problems were given to me and i wasn't dictated a a solution or a way to solve it it was we need we are at a we need to go to b solve it how you can um that's kind of how things were uh until around 2014 like doing clinical web applications things like uh billing uh test handbooks around 2014 Uh, Bob at this point was a VMware administrator. Sorry. This is, this is now like a dual biography because at this point he and he and I are like glued to the hip.
0: Uh, I'm excited for like the book series that comes out that like documents Bob's point of view, yours, you know, we have to read them both to get the full, the full understanding.
1: It's it's actually really tough to do this, like to talk about this story and not have him also interjecting. Like, (laughs) yeah. So right around 2014, um, he and I were looking at how to optimize our, our build pipelines, because at this point we were doing more like we were iterating a lot faster than we had before. You know, you look at us five years ago, we are still editing code live on the servers like we, we barely had any like source control. Um, yeah. So <laughs> from there, we started looking at Docker. Um, And we realized very quickly that Docker was going to solve quite a lot of issues, including like packaging all of our dependencies, but also it was going to be extremely painful to run all of our stuff in Docker and also have it talk to all the different services that we had. So then we started looking at different options. Like one idea was just a bash script that essentially built the containers, pushed it live through all the servers. One was Mesos, which Bob went headlong in and Did a lot of research and uh, work around. And another one was Kubernetes. Now, we're talking October 2014. Kubernetes was just open sourced June 2014. Um, It was not that stable and not very usable for us. So we ran it in production. I I hope that I, I am correct in saying that we were probably the first place running clinical web applications on Kubernetes. But that only lasted a month (laughs) because (laughs) EtcD kept crashing. So we just decided we'll do the bash script thing for now. And it was stable until we left. Um, Bob and I are kind of a a package deal. So what wound up happening was uh, we found a really awesome opportunity uh, at one of the research departments. In fact, it was like the com- research computing department for the whole university, uh, advanced research and computing technology services, ArcTS. Uh, they're doing HPC work. Uh, all of the like research faculty essentially c- contacted them to help them solve big, you know, big compute problems. Uh, Bob and I both had the opportunity to go and work there. He was, uh, doing more, uh, kind of like systems work. I was doing more containers and development work there. Um, uh, The problem was after a while, it it's kind of how do I put this nicely? (laughs) There, there, there comes a point when you are in a job where you realize you've pretty much gone as far as you can.
0: Yes. And,
1: I was at that point, Bob was very quickly coming to that point, And the work that we were doing wasn't that interesting at that point, it was repetitive. There was there wasn't like problems to solve. It was just maintenance mode. And I don't like, that's, that's not what I'm interested in. That isn't what drives me. So at that point I was also working a lot in the Kubernetes space, as you know, hi. Um, <laughs> So I started looking at different places that were doing upstream Kubernetes work and landed at Red Hat. Um, so now that I'm at Red Hat, I am tackling like mind-boggling problems compared to the university work. Uh, mainly, think about a managed Kubernetes solution. Think all of the layers that you have, not just installing and rolling out Kubernetes. We're also talking, how do you support the SREs that are going to help maintain the cluster how do you interact with the customers and let them know things like upgrade windows um, a lot of the ways that we solve those are operators but all of these operators wind up being individually versioned you know pieces of software on top of the rolling software of openshift and kubernetes so trying to gauge CI health across all like all this matrix of dependencies can be kind of a pain in the butt. And those are kind of the problems that I'm solving and working to help alleviate a lot of our developers with.
0: I, I like that you captured that feeling of kind of knowing when it's your time, you know, potentially your time to move on to another opportunity, another job, and, and it, it funny, funny enough. I've had a couple that. I'm sure just about everybody has felt that at some point in time or another, um, or, or they're, you know, they have the best job on, on the planet, which, you know, I, I'm happy for them. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's kind of realizing when you, it, it like you said, maintenance mode, uh, and just kind of like feeling like you're just kind of perpetuating, perpetuating something that
1: yep. Yep. You, you,
0: you just don't really like. I, I, I really identify with that. I think that that's, uh, I've, it, it, I love hearing stories where people are able to find that next thing or, you know, even if it takes a long amount of time, but uh, it it sounds like you've really just kind of gotten into something that you really enjoy doing and and provides good opportunities. Are there any kinds of uh, like, especially fun problems that you've had to solve in your new role or, or anything that comes to mind?
1: Um, I kind of described the big one. um, And I'll even like talk about how we're looking to solve it. We have, Something like, and the, so there's OpenShift, and that's that's the OCP project. Um, and then there's OpenShift Dedicated, and that's the ma- our managed offering of OpenShift. So OCP has a significant number of operators. It's, you know, CoreOS turned into Red Hat OpenShift. Um, and then there is OpenShift Dedicated, which has even more operators on top of that. The upstream OpenShift or OCP, we just treat as one single version or package we now have to try and engage uh, across multiple different cloud providers uh, with multiple different versions of openShift, all of the different versions of operators and then there's different config options that we are having to kind of test across um, so it, it's almost like so I don't want to call it chaos engineering because it has a completely different meaning <laughs> in our in our world but, We introduce an element of chaos in all of our CI runs now. And in in the form of you can select any uh, config option and just use the string random. And what that will do is it will pick a random option from all of the different uh, (laughs) uh, options. And you generate over time a very, very good idea of the signal of all these different things working together. So like we'll test a version like 466 of OpenShift with a, like three different versions of the operators and see if they work uh, on GCP, on AWS, on Azure. Like it's it's something that I haven't seen in like my research done, like just the concept of any possible parameter you can be able to set it random. Output what the parameter was chosen as, and then let you like select and filter on all the data to see what is, what is working, what isn't, what looks like it's failing and what is.
0: That's so cool. Ed, Ed, have you been able to change, I know that you said you can kind of like inject that one thing, but have you made an entire pipeline of like, you know, 16 permutations of randomness just to, you know, just, just for fun. We're
1: right now we're at eight. So wow. like, <laughs> so like, for example, we'll test uh, different compute uh, machine types. Um, we'll test the different versions of each of the different operators that we have set. Um, there are different network, uh, drivers that we're testing all at the same time. So yeah, it's, it's a pretty wide array of things and it's, it's only getting like bigger and more configurable. So we need to be able to test that. And since we're, we're doing not only, um, tests on every nightly, but also, uh, periodics like every four hours or so, depending on the different like environments, we get a really, really good idea of what's working, what's or when something has failed.
0: That's so cool. That's that's so fun. It's it's interesting because uh, you know, kind of like you identified, it, chaos engineering is it, rarely something that I've seen done deliberately. It's just kind of been like the the three AM call, and yeah. uh, you know, yeah. the, oh shoot, I need help. <laughs> I know that you haven't slept yet, but we we need your help. Um, <laughs> your only hope. Uh, <laughs> that's that's awesome. I uh, do want to change it up just a little bit and uh, say that uh, you know we're we're, we're, fri- we're friends. I see your Twitter feed and have uh, noticed a uh, untitled goose that I've seen appear in quite a few posts. Uh, what the honk is that about?
1: Oh, so we're talking we're talking about the goose now.
0: Okay, yeah. the golden goose, the, gold- the untitled goose, <laughs> the untitled goose, the untitled golden goose.
1: Uh, the untitled goose game was a game that came out for various platforms, uh, in which you play a goose that has to run around and circumvent different things around a, a old uh, old timey town. Think like, you know, there's a pub, there's a nice little brunch place with a garden, that sort of thing. And the goose winds up being this harbinger of chaos. All they want to do is steal a bell and they have to get through a bunch of different levels, essentially uh, by doing things like stealing a rake and throwing it in a lake to try and distract a gardener, that sort of thing. Um, the goose wound up being an avatar for all of the like infosec and specifically Kubernetes uh, security folks, just because it you can't you can't really predict when a meme is going to catch on. In this case, the, the goose caught on. Um, so <laughs> long, long in the before times, uh, when Bob and I were working on the Kubernetes uh, contributor summit. 2019, uh, that was in San Diego, we wanted to put together this little uh, treasure hunt where you would have to do different things, uh, come honk at us, try and make this bag honk, uh, and you would get different prizes. Well, at that same conference, unbeknownst to us and unbeknownst to Ian, uh, Ian was putting out on one of the best keynotes ever, uh, in which they talk about how this, you know, untitled goose is a very good way to consider like different attack methods and just in general, being, being InfoSec, InfoSec people be InfoSec. So that really cemented the goose. Um, And the next month, Bob and I had a really stupid idea of what happens if we let random people control a Kubernetes cluster over Twitter. I love this. (laughs) And that's that's that right there is where Honk CTL was born, and the idea of different CTF style games, uh, including uh, there was like almost there was a PvP mode in one of them where you could actually Avada Kedavra another player and prevent <laughs> and prevent them from doing any commands uh, for five minutes. But if you did it too many times, it actually uh, would bounce the spell back at you. Um, we 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 just tried to have fun with it, and it was it was really interesting from my perspective to see how much fun people had with it. And also how many people I didn't know, like how far it spread. Um, And it's, it's just a whole lot of fun to put on one of those little events. Like they're they're not little, like I won't, I won't say it's a huge amount of work, but it's, it, I mean, Bob and I would say for the last one probably put like 40 hours of work into it on top of then sitting around and babysitting it. Um, but it's so much fun just to see people be curious, like ultimate, ultimately all this is, is a sandbox for people to be curious and to do whatever they want with no repercussions aside from just, you know, a message back that says error. Oh no.
0: Which I, I feel like personally has been lost a little bit when it comes to technology. I, I feel like I, I've seen more people focus on getting that deliverable done, finishing that thing out. I feel like there's not that much time that people have for Easter eggs or fun events. And so working in open source, I found that really fun and seeing such a big focus on doing things that are, are, are fun in this nature. And I feel like that's where you get those really original or those really innovative ideas Is is just not thinking the same as everyone else, right?
1: That, yeah, 100%. Um, I feel like everyone is more productive, learns more, and obviously has more fun while having fun. If if everyone could have fun and also you know be their best self, I feel like that would be mission accomplished for me. And you can usually see that in the talks that I try and give and also the events that I try and do. Um, another good example of that was the cloud native iron chef. Like, yes, yes. That was, so good. <laughs> that was, and that was just like a totally random idea that I had. Like, could I actually put this on? And then it turned into me, you know, slicing together old iron chef clips to have a cloud native iron in iron chef intro me biting into an apple live and realizing that is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> setting up all the equipment in my kitchen. So I have a backdrop from, you know, just to make it all seem, you know, real. Um, Oh, that was so much fun. And I, I, I will commit that I'm going to try and do another one this year. I just don't know when or where.
0: That was, that, I, that was so much fun. I loved that. Well, I'll definitely add that to the show notes as uh, one of the things to absolutely check out. Um, I, I, I give a talk, I think it was one of the talks at the end of the day before the wrap up about using the Donato's uh, or, or Domino's pizza provider for, uh, for Terraform and then making sure that there was no ham on it um, because I don't like Hawaiian pizza with open policy agent. So that was, <laughs>
1: that's awesome.
0: It's yeah it's it's so much fun to do stuff like that rather than, you know, like uh do we hit our milestone? It's like, "Ah, uh, do do we have pizza?" Is exactly. It okay? Does it does it abide by our policy? Yeah, it's it it's, it's so much more fun. I I'd love to see more people focus on adding in some easter eggs or, you know, just some fun impish, you know, yeah. <laughs> like like the goose, just add those things in. It makes it so much more fun.
1: Yeah, and like so typically when I am doing some sort of thing around fun, It's actually a head fake head fake may have like a negative connotation for some, but I always go back to this is a tangent. So I apologize. There was there was a faculty member at Carnegie Mellon named Randy Pausch, and he gave one of the best lectures ever called The Last Lecture. He unfortunately passed away due to uh, pancreatic cancer, I believe. But he knew that he was on his way out and he wanted to deliver his last lecture. Spoiler, because it's been around a lot a while. He goes over his life and things like becoming a Disney Imagineer, uh, his work in VR. It was all a head fake for his kids. And he calls it out right at the end. Like, this was not a lecture for you, this was a lecture for my kids. I try to head fake things to make them more fun, but also to be a little educational. And that's why head fake isn't really a negative connotation for me. The Uh, cloud native iron chef show me a really good instance where you have people that are fairly well known in our community people that are working on the stuff that end users are really interested in but recording them live doing it Hmm. and under a little bit of pressure synthetic pressure but still like (laughs) here here is a problem again it's like the idea of we are at we're at point A, we need to get to point B. I don't care how you do it. And that, that to me was really interesting. You looked at Allison, Allison tried to just spin it up as an EC2 instance. And then you had Jeremy and Jeremy went full blown. I'm, you know, making this like a CR and I'm going to deploy it in Kubernetes. Lake, or I think he was using a helm chart, not a CR. The CR approach was one Joe beta did. Um, but like you, you have just, it's interesting to see other people's thought processes and how they would do it. And there's not really a platform where we get to see that often. So I think that that's something that I want to do more of.
0: <laughs> it's it's and it's fun when it can be that collaborative thing, you yeah. know, because like like when it's like what's two plus two, there is a there is a right answer to that. But when it's like stand up a Kubernetes cluster, there's depending on the context, there might not be a correct answer to that. Yep. You know, uh, pour one pour one out for cube up. Um, but, uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe there might be a wrong way. Like, who knows? Who knows? Um, but, but, uh, that's no, that's, I, 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 I find that so fun and I really agree with you. I, I think that it's so, it's so much more fun when it's fun. And, you know, it's, I, I think that it's really just about intent. Do people really want to learn this thing? You know, if you don't, that's okay. There are tons of other things to do within that space, yep. within that time. And I think that we're all better off when we're able to be honest about that. And
1: hundred percent. Yeah. I,
0: I, I love that. Yeah, honk, honk. Uh, <laughs> uh, regarding communities and events, you've had a lot of experience running events, like meetups to entire conferences, which is something that uh, you know a lot of people are, I, I think might not know about you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about those types of experiences and things that people might not realize about running events like that? Whether you know whether it's whether it's a small meetup, whether it's a, a, a big conference.
1: Um. A little bit more background. You probably know that I run a meetup here with Bob and George and Mario. um, And also that I've helped out with KubeCon and uh, the Contributor Summit. But I also helped a a lot in in my early days when I was a wee wee lad um, with anime cons. And I ran a lot of the anime cons in the Midwest area. There are a lot of parallels. The biggest parallel that I saw was all all. 90% of the effort is up front and that 10% is really just you coasting and making sure that nothing gets put on, like set on fire. Um, making sure that you have an organized plan and everyone very clearly understands their responsibilities and they can focus on just those responsibilities and always, always, always have one or two people that are essentially, they're usually the ones in charge of the event but they're also the firefighters. If something truly gets caught on fire and no one has an answer to it, you go and immediately just route it to them. And they are the ones that are the most on autopilot throughout the entire event, because they are the ones that are going to immediately get distracted. If there is something that isn't in essentially like, you know, a, a, a role book, essentially like, if it's not within the parameters of a given person's responsibilities, it gets immediately routed to them and they sort it out. Um, Yeah. Like I I can talk a lot about different events. It's just like one of those topics where it's, it's a big ocean. I don't know where to really (laughs) dive into.
0: I think it was uh, when when you came out for um, the scale conference uh, out here, uh, it's actually one of the last times I saw you before before, uh, COVID just really hit hard and and got to see a lot of people in the community. I I know even then some people were flying back, you know, like all the way to England in some cases (sighs) uh, after they just landed, which is just such a bummer.
1: Landed, got a hotel room and then immediately (laughs) had to fly back.
0: Oh, just such a bummer. It was, uh, I, I, it, that it was the right said, call. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I, I, I remember thinking back, you know, with just about everybody I've talked with, like, oh, this is going to be like two weeks, a month, something like that, you know, and then December hits and then January hits. And then, yeah. <laughs> But uh, ha- happy that people are are mostly on their way back to you know some semblance of normal, and we get to, and we see these these conferences and meetups and everything starting to open up again, which makes me quite happy to to see people I've I've missed uh, again. But um, being able to see one of the talks, uh, sitting with you and and Bob, and watching your talk at scale, and I think that was what one of the points you called that out was. Um, you know, like it, I, I, I think that we saw like some technical issues happening and you're like, oh yeah, they, did they check this? Do they have this wire? Uh, and then telling me about like when you had to run out to like Radio Shack when it was still open, yeah. so, <laughs> all those fun, <laughs> fun antics and, and, uh,
1: as, and as with all things many years ago, Bob and I had to kind of kludge together a simulcast system because there was they wanted to simulcast the cosplay event in two different rooms because we ran out of space in the main events room so we ran to radio shack essentially with the con chairs credit card and had to buy like 200 feet worth of rca cable and then like extenders to boost the signal and it was that we had two hours notice (laughs) (laughs) it's fun um
0: So it was just SRE training and you didn't even know it basically. (laughs) Pretty much,
1: pretty much just cool under pressure. there's always a solution, you just got to try and, you know, figure it out and not freak out during it. Uh, One thing that I actually, uh, kind of a tangent. Um, so Bob, George, Mario, and I, you know, the four of us run a a meetup in Southeast Michigan called orchestructure. Shout out to shout out to my friends, my family. Um, but we actually ran into an issue where everyone was getting burned out from virtual events and this and we were we were hitting this early on we're talking like april may 2020 at that point we've only had three virtual events and we had to stop doing them around july or august like nope we're and we just said we're not going to plan anymore uh once once covid's over once we can actually have a physical meetup that's great but because everyone was doing virtual meetups big or small or whatever it was just very very difficult for us so like our attendance in my opinion our attendance for uh a virtual event was pretty good especially since like we would always have the same like 10 to 20 people that would show up and they would still show up but once we saw them starting to drop off like that that's a signal and then the four of us are talking between ourselves like this is a drag and like i'm not looking forward to this and no one else is really like the chat even dropped in like how active it was so we we kind of knew we need to take a break until we can like be in person crush some pizza and actually see everyone
0: It's it's such a different type of interaction, and even seeing you know Twitter Spaces and Clubhouse and like different forms of ways to consume media, um, you know I, I I definitely feel that you know I, I think that there were a couple. <laughs> what is it? I think it it, it might have been I think it might have been somebody in the Kubernetes community that made me laugh, and they basically ended up tweeting like, "Hey, uh, I have to have a meeting on Friday at four p.m.," uh, and then their director is just like, "Yeah, cancel that, sorry." <laughs> You know, just seeing like that level, it, it people getting to a point where it's just like, yeah, I'm really tired. I don't know why. And then the answer being like, oh, I scheduled eight hours of Zoom meetings just about every day.
1: Yes, yes. And like, it's to the point where I have a weekly Dungeons and Dragons because I'm a nerd game. And we would normally meet up in a buddy's basement uh, 7 p.m. tonight, right? It's a Tuesday night game. And me personally, I am between meetings and then just sitting at my computer i don't want to sit at my computer for another four hours like every week as much as i'm a a nerd like and i want to play it's it's just it's hard for me to to like really drum up the motivation to do that so i can't wait
0: I feel like a lot of it has to be somewhat related to context too, right? Like sitting with your friends in that place feels a lot different than like, I'm at my desk where I work 100%. and, you know,
1: completely I, I,
0: agree. I just, I, I really feel that. And even like with, you know, calls with family and things like that, like I I've, I've liked, I, I like being outside and doing that and just kind of like making a different mental space for, for, you know, where that actually happens. But, uh, it's I, I've it, it's it's been eye-opening to me too and it's kind of saying that like what it, it's we can't just have a virtual event right it's it's something that should be fun it's something that should be engaging and, and just kind of like really rethinking what kind of events are, are worth having and which ones like when it's okay to say no and it's a it's it's because this event is this specific way or it's not engaging enough or anything like that. I feel like people have gotten a lot more pragmatic about what to actually jump into and what not to. Yeah. Um, which has been interesting. We
1: we definitely saw that. Um we didn't want to have a virtual contributor summit. Um we started planning on it and then we realized that, well, everyone's burnt out. Is it are are people really going to want to be on essentially an eight hour Zoom call yet again? to even, even if there are people that, you know, we're all friends, like we're, we're pretty close knit. I don't want to sit on another eight hour zoom call because like sitting on a large zoom call where people just kind of hang out that that's a little awkward to me. I feel like if there's silence, I need to talk or I need to say something or I'm failing and it's, it's really difficult. So we wanted to avoid that. Um, However, one thing that we did do Kubernetes wise was we had that Kubernetes celebration at the end of the year. Uh, where it was just everyone can hop on, do Discord, uh, play video games. There was the great Kubernetes Bake Off. We did um, the game show. It like it was a lot of fun. Kind of sucks that I wasn't around for it, but you know, <laughs> issues came up. I had to back out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's, and those are fun too. Like I, I, I love my family. I know everybody loves their families, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you find like 10 minutes to just go be by yourself during the holidays. (laughs) And, and that was one of the things I checked out, you know, I'd go read a book or or find a a cozy corner. And I love turning on the the bake off and just getting to laugh at, you know, all the, all the banter between everybody and and get to see everybody like that. You know, what is, what is everybody's holiday mode kind of look like? Uh, It's exactly, exactly. I think when it when it comes to that that the tech landscape right now um it's it's interesting because it's so complex right now too kind of like it, it, we, i've seen a whole bunch of events you know a, a lot of t- kubernetes is getting quite far on in terms of all the different things you can do with it you know offers a whole bunch of great primitives to work with but uh when it, but you know there are infinite workflows right like it even if you've solved for all of them another billion will pop up by tomorrow that's just that's just the nature of technology oh yeah and uh what what are some workflows that, that you think are really well defined right now versus ones that might not be so well defined and might be in need of a refresh? Ooh. Um I think memes that, in general always can be refreshed, but that's just a personal thought.
1: That that's that's a curveball of a question. The the ones that immediately come to mind, the things that are static and will probably stay static right now, are uh jobs that are building containers. That, uh, like, everything has been built around that. Everything is built for that. I think that one's one and done. Like, we are we don't have to worry about that. You can pick from one of 10 different ways to do it, and it won't be wrong. Uh, a specific one that I see uh, happening, and I see a lot of work in different places and different vendors, is machine learning pipelines. Hmm. I've always been really interested in that because... Uh, one of the things I didn't talk about in my history at the university was I was also attached to an R01 doing machine learning on uh, different blood results to predict uh, essentially Crohn's patients and their uh, response to a certain medication. Interesting. Uh, the, <laughs> now we're kind of diving into a rabbit hole, but the, the long story short version is in order for you to see if you would have negative results or uh, good efficiency with this medication, it would be around a $400 blood test that was, that was accurate 56% of the time, or, or you could get a, just a normal blood test that you would get during an annual physical. And we had, I think it was like, by the time I left 89% accuracy, just based on normal values, we're talking, you know, just blood chemistry. And, uh, I forget the other one. It's been 10 years. Yeah. But so That was all machine learning. And I went to the research computing department to also continue that kind of mindset and seeing all the ways different people and different faculty members try to build these pipelines. HPC workloads are another example of this, but they're not the specific one I'm thinking of. So let's take an example of you have a large campus. You have lots of Wi-Fi data this this I promise I'm making this up on the fly. I'm not. <laughs> uh, you have a large campus with a lot of Wi-Fi data, and you can actually track trends of people and where they are always moving to. so you want to optimize for like bus routes or you want to optimize for sidewalks really really interesting idea, right?
0: Yeah now
1: imagine uh, so that's that's the type of research where you are taking data that already exists. You were running analysis on it. You were getting a result. You were acting on that result. Very, very just simple pipeline. Okay. Yeah. Now let's think about you have 50 heart rate monitors, all feeding into pipelines and you can predict the wellness or the outcome of a patient just based on that. That's ongoing. And you can also with every patient's outcome. Then take that data and feed it back into the model. Wow! So that that type of that type of computing is, I feel like we're getting there, but I think it's a difficult like thing to solve. I this isn't like cloud native specific, but this is like <laughs> that's that's one of the things that I'm always interested in. It's one of the things that I've constantly been thinking about um, just because. I feel like there's a lot more good that we can do with the technology that we build, even if it's, you know, we're having fun doing it. Um, it's, it's, yeah, go it's,
0: ahead. I agree. And that's a, that's a, that's a great point. I really do see that as being untapped as well. It, it's there, there was, um, uh, I, I, funny enough, I think it was that same uh, scale that, that I talked with, uh, or it might've been the year before um, I got the chance to talk to Paige Bailey um, who's who's currently at Microsoft and talked about some, you know, like you can do these really simple statistical analysis, analyses of things, or you can, you know, use that for a socioeconomic benefit and making people's lives better. And, and she, that was her prediction was that, uh, you know, if she's a human, I know it's not full AI, but, uh, <laughs> and being able to kind of say that uh, the next five to 10 years, keep an eye out for this industry, because it's uh, something that could really grow. And I, I really like that. There's the, I think it was Stanford. It, it you know, pl- you know, please at me if I got it wrong, please, please, please. Uh, <laughs> I want to, I want to cite things correctly. Um, there was, I think it was Stanford and what they ended up doing was not pouring concrete or anything like that. They just let students walk around the campus and then basically make like trails, uh, based on where their classes were. And then they just paved over them after, um, uh, to kind of make that a little bit easier and use that, uh, you know, again, not, not AI, uh, either, but, uh, I like that in terms of really establishing, you know, like, like you said about wifi or anything else. I think that even just those are interesting, not let alone, you know, some of the things that require even more interaction and optimization. I, it's, it, I agree. It, that'd be such an interesting field to see, to see uh, take off.
1: Uh, yeah. Two things. One, I've heard that story too. I don't know if it was Stanford, but I loved that story. That's such a good example of, of just the, life finds a way. <laughs>
0: Yes. Yes. It's so true. Yeah. Uh, or you could you just scratch that. Just say bash. I'm yeah, sure that bash, be a bash finds a way.
1: <laughs> the second thing, and this, this is equally something to really think about, but it's, it's a concern with these types of, uh, this type of data is being able to prevent identifiable information. And that was one of the big things we were working on when I was at the research, uh, uh at ArcTS. I don't have to keep saying research computing. I established the uh, the acronym, but being being able to give people raw access to all of this Wi-Fi data, and being able to let them, you know, run aggregate but only aggregate queries, so you can't identify that, you know, Jeff just went to Sweetwaters to get a coffee. Why, but he was there for an hour oh no did he interview it like was he blowing off lunch like you know you need to prevent that stuff Um, but still give the researchers and people that want to ask these really interesting, really valuable questions, the ability to answer them.
0: It's another great point. I've talked with some people recently that have been, you know, uh, talking about ad tracking and, you know, we see that, like, uh, I I just updated my phone recently to iOS 11 or 14.5 and, and, you know, I'm excited about all this transparency around tracking and everything else because, you know, frankly, I, I, I don't want it you know, and and I've talked to some people who are like, that's, you know, plug me in. That's totally fine. You can take all my data. I got nothing to hide. And then, and then others, you know, I just, I, 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 again could talk about that for hours, but (laughs) I find, I find those perspectives so interesting on, you know, this, this, yes, you might not care within this context, but what about this? What about, you know, if like the example that you just mentioned, you know, whether it's an employer or something else, there are just ways to you can lie with data, right? If you know how to work with it, you can un- misunderstand uh, other things too if you haven't perfected that method. And so I think that leaves us open to a lot of things, but we have all this data available. We, it, we, we're we almost foolish not to use it in some contexts too. You know, it could really help um, or, or make a lot of people's lives better in, in some cases. So I think it's, I, I really like projects that take that anonymization appropriately and are able to do it well, right? Not just kind of like, yeah, we deleted first name, last name. And, uh, you know, this metadata you could definitely infer stuff with, but uh, that's, that's fine.
1: There was, there was this, this one, I can't cite the specific sources, but this was many, many years ago. There was a study where just having the, uh, the diagnosis of a patient and their zip code actually was enough identifiable information because they had an extraordinarily rare disease. So preventing identifiable information from getting out is actually a really, it's a huge problem, but it's also an interesting problem because you would never think like, all right, uh, Crohn's disease, my zip code, like you maybe one more data point and you have, you know, you can triangulate that. That's me. Right. So it's, it's sorry. It, like this, is this is one of no, those, absolutely. one of those topics where I can like, I, I have had such an odd path to get to where I am. I can, talk about a lot of really different and in my opinion, cool stuff, but.
0: It's, I, I, I got the chance to work in, in, in healthcare as well for a bit. And there was, uh, it, it, even things that like you'd never think about, like, okay, we've encrypted all of our PII and our HIPAA data and everything looks good. And then in the, and in the, is there anything more that you'd like to let your practitioner know? Um, you know, like my name is John Smith and, uh, you know, it's like, Oh, you just bypassed all those things that we carefully thought through. Uh, We didn't (laughs) we never thought about that outcome, but there's
1: HIPAA HIPAA laws kind of they they were a good first step, but they do really need to be revisited because technically I could break HIPAA laws by saying someone named John is in the hospital and I have just breached HIPAA (laughs) arguably by saying that someone's first name in the hospital. I mean, I don't work there, so I can't, you know, technically breach it. But that's that's where it is right now. And it needs to be revisited. Um, another thing that I feel really needs to be evangelized more is investigating people's research methods. Now this, this isn't me just taking a a jab at the university of Minnesota stuff that happened. I'm not going to go into that. I made my opinions well-known on Twitter, but it's not just computing research. It's also medical research. And like, especially now that everyone is thinking about vaccines and COVID like research is at the forefront of that. People were spreading a lot of like misinformation. And one of the things that I feel like anyone techn- technical or not, they really need to like focus on critical thinking and being able to answer their own questions that if like if, if I leave the planet and somehow have an impact where people real like think about that, I'll, I'll be happy. Like. <laughs> <laughs> It's total tension.
0: No, it's, it's, I love that because you're really, you help yourself and so many others when you're able to think critically and, and like really investigate, like you said earlier, be curious. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's the key of that critical thinking is that like, huh, is, is this really the way that this is, you know, like are, do I, you know, do, do I really get 5g, better 5g service after I get my vaccine? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) it's so far, so far the answer for me is no, uh, but (laughs) darn (laughs) <laughs> but like it, it absolutely great things like that you know it's just like it, 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 it you 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 only benefit people i think when when you think critically and and kind of help out on that front i think I think with that, you know, being being apart from people and and COVID and everything, it's do you do you feel like people like it's gotten easier to work as a team and as a community generally, or you know, not not specific to any workplace because I know you know like our favorite answer in tech, it depends. But uh, but generally, do you think like tools have come along? Um, tele you know telepresence has been better. What what are your thoughts on there? What's your what's your what's your hot take?
1: It depends.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm. I, I'm I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sorry. But like, when you think about it, l- look at, let's look at Kubernetes, the community right now. I actually feel like, be, though we are a distributed community, we have definitely run into some fatigue. That's that's an understatement. We've run into a lot of fatigue and all of us realize it. And there's not much we can do aside from grit our teeth and go on. And the the people that can go on are the champions, the people that recognize that they are getting burnt out and need to step back are also the champions because they are then not being roadblocks. They are helping like more people get into the project, but that's the Kubernetes community. From my perspective in my role in, at red hat, we have actually also, I promise I'm not just, you know, promoting red hat. This is like <laughs> my genuine feelings. Yeah. yeah. Um, forcing our teams to be 200% remote first, everyone has to be remote. We are all on the same meetings from me being a remote employee of red hat. I feel like that helped me because I feel like everyone was in the same situation I was, and I wasn't missing in-person side conversations that I would hear about later, either through Slack or through a JIRA card. Um, so me personally, I feel like I've benefited it li- or benefited a little bit from that. But are there any like specific tools that have come out recently that like have promoted that? It's it's not so much tools and more processes, like Hangouts, Zoom. Those were around before COVID. Jira, Slack. Those were all around before COVID as well. Like nothing, ha- nothing new has truly popped up to change things. But changing meetings so they're fifty-five minutes instead of th- uh, sixty. So you have that five minutes so you can run, go to the bathroom, get, get something to drink. That's, that's one of those small processes that's been fantastic and a lot more people need to adopt that. Uh, things like I, I never did this before, but blocking off an hour in your calendar for lunch, maybe go and work out if you can in your home, like those, those types of small, simple things do so much for your mental well being, Like, You don't have to worry about the, I have a meeting in 30 seconds. I really have to go to the bathroom and my throat is parched. Like you don't have to worry (laughs) about that. Um, Being able to set aside that hour to like, even if you're not working out, even if you were literally just going into a different room, eating some food and then sitting and just like being mindful and thinking about, you know, everything and nothing like (laughs) super helpful. Um, Yeah. Those, those types of things, I think, personally have helped me, benefited me a lot. And I have seen other people that have said the same.
0: I think in in my previous situation, we were talking before the show about just moving and things on that front, but it, being able to, I was in a little bit smaller space before, but having the ability to sit like at a desk and it was like, especially I was like more boxed in and then uh, being able to like and that was a good place to focus yep. and then being able to move to the family room, you know, a whole 10 feet away and, and sit down and like, look at my, you know, read on a screen or, or book or whatever it might be. And, you know, I read up on some RFCs or uh, study this topic that I'm going to talk about or things like that. I, I think that just all that context change has been interesting too. And I, 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 I am so blown away by everybody's ingenuity and ability to do that. And in a lot of cases, like, not ever, like most people didn't think that their home would be their office for the next year. So, you know, and in many cases that was the case And and being able to just, you know, transform it all. That's, that's wild. That's kudos to everybody on that front.
1: And, and everyone is different. Everyone has had to find their own solutions to working from home. Everyone's circumstances are different. Some people have, you know, larger houses. Some people are in, you know, studio apartments, like everyone has to figure out how they can work. And some people, honestly, they are going to have problems. They are not like wired to do that. And we we just have to recognize that and recognize that they are not going to be working at a hundred percent. They're not even going to be working at 70%. And that's okay.
0: Bingo. That's, and that's the thing, like you said, even with community and, you know, stepping aside, referring to Kubernetes, stepping aside, knowing when to like, I I can't give this my all right now. Let's let somebody else, you know, I don't want to be a blocker. Let me get out of the way. Um, you know, I think that that's, that is the biggest thing too, that I've been so happy to see a lot of companies and people and, and processes call out is the fact that like, Hey, you don't need to be, you know, working a hundred, you can't work a hundred percent of your effort, a hundred percent of the time. It's okay to step back. You're better off, you know, uh, cognitively, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally, uh, just spiritually, physically, everything, you know, (laughs) when you're able to disconnect and actually like have that time, you can't, you can't do it all. And that's okay. And I think that that's something that's been, I've, you know, I've seen varying levels of, of difficulty for just about everybody, but that's, it's okay. Like you said, and I love, I love hearing that more and more and just people being real about that fact. Uh, I have one question, one other question for you that is fun. It's kind of, this is, this is that, you know, I I told you there would be no gotcha journalism here, but maybe I lied. Um, uh, (laughs) And then uh, this this is a fun one. This is a fun one. And then I have uh, our our bonus question that uh, doesn't really relate to tech, just gives us a better picture about you. So the final, like somewhat technical question I have for you, uh, somewhat leading, is uh, bugs in software happen. Mm -hmm. However, they can be a lot more memorable when they involve hardware. Do you have any fun stories about software gone wrong in the real world?
1: Ooh, there there are so many interesting stories. I will tell you. I will tell you the first one that comes to mind. And this this okay. So Bob and I worked at the pathology department. We had and supported a lot of software. Uh, Bob was essentially the primary VMware administrator for the department. Uh, other people could troubleshoot. But if something really went sideways, 2 a.m. Bob's getting the call. (laughs) A group of us had gone to St. Louis to uh, go and we're we're huge nerds. As I've established, Uh, there was a Final Fantasy concert down in St. Louis. Uh, There was one Friday and one Saturday. And we were like, we're going to take Thursday and Friday off, drive down Thursday. We're going to hit the Friday one and the Saturday one because they have different uh, I can't think of the word. Di- essentially, different music plan for each night, and then we'll drive back Sunday. Wonderful weekend. One one of the best like small extended weekend trips ever. Except uh, Saturday after the concert at around one thirty, when Bob got called, and the entire Oracle database for the department is down. Now, let me explain the implications for this. The Oracle database handled all the test results, so oh, patient no. <laughs> patient impact, uh, all the billing. <laughs> So money, 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 Um, pretty much literally everything that the department did was going through this Oracle database and was connected to the lab system and connected to the health system in general. So this was bad. Um, I was I woke up because he got the call and I was like, is there anything I can do? Like my stuff's down because your stuff's down like. No. All right. Well, I'm going to go to bed and uh, I guess I hope you get some sleep. I wake up at around 7.30 the next morning. He's still awake, still Yo. trying to figure this out. And it was, all right, Bob, you're going to have to tell them you have to go for 15 minutes because we need to check out of the hotel. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not kidding. Uh, we stopped. We, he worked almost wow. the whole drive back from St. Louis. Buddy. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> we, we stopped at a Dunkin' Donuts. We got we got some breakfast. And then we were tethered the whole way back. That. <sighs> that that wasn't necessarily hardware but i mean
0: yeah we we we, we talked about ingenuity and in tough places in like different contexts but i i swear there is no ingenuity like at being an sre or somebody on a support bridge and like driving trains you know whatever it might be you could be in a, the most remote place ever you find a way to plug into a tree to get wi-fi to be able to, <laughs> to help yep. that out
1: here here's here's another fun little story again bob and i and the Uh, pathology department Uh, the the department had its own data center within the hospital Um, it was kind of unique in that and it was it wasn't huge it was maybe 20 racks um, had its own cooling loop everything like it was a true true data center Um, one summer evening the data center lost cooling and bob and i were the closest people living there so we were the ones that had to run in there We had to wait for the portable chillers to arrive. We had to set them all up. There is a funny picture uh, of Bob essentially holding a bunch of the uh, cooler vents around his head. And like we took a stupid selfie because, you know, we're we're ridiculous. Um, And yeah, uh, ultimately, the chillers had to have uh, (laughs) had to have the exhaust routed out of the data center and into the hospital hallway because we couldn't run them outside because then it would block the the hallway for patient beds like no. there's so oh many ridiculous gosh. ridiculous things that happened in that department there i look i look upon my time there fondly
0: <laughs> i i'm so sad i never got to like formally work within a data center or anything like that but I, I, a, a lot of people have told me don't be envious but i am envious of all of the stories of troubleshooting and things like that but yeah
1: it's 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 95 percent sad and five percent fun <laughs>
0: Uh, it's like probably never fun in the moment but afterwards uh, afterwards fun i think one of my favorite uh uh the the one that i was i was going for was uh uh during uh right after KubeCon in san diego when we went up to uh, Cube, uh, uh disneyland Land as we yep. called it um and one of our colleagues uh, caitlin bernard uh, we were riding the Smuggler's Run ride. Of
1: course. <laughs> oh, poor Caitlin.
0: <laughs> and then we waited like, I remember like we all it, went It through, was, it was we, 35 minutes. We had such a good run too. We had such a great run. And then like a high score, we were like, oh, it was great. And then like, well, let's get dinner. And then we we're waiting for Caitlin forever. Uh, and then I remember we like got like, Broken communication from her via text, like "I'm still in the ride, help!" And then, like, what happens? Screens. What
1: happened? What does it mean when all of the screens are white?
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no!
1: <laughs> they have to restart the ride. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay <Poor> uh, Caitlin. <laughs> it was so fun, and and again, you know, didn't experience that firsthand, but uh, oh my gosh, yeah, I felt so bad. I was happy that we were able to to all go get dinner and everything like that, but uh, yeah, uh, so fun, so fun. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. I have your final bonus round question. Hit me. Um, and uh, so I know that you, uh, I know that you travel. I know that you like your amusement parks. And uh, in this hypothetical situation, if you had to own and operate just one amusement park attraction for the rest of your life, what would it be? What do you do? What's what's the allure? Uh, what, what what kind of ride are, are you creating and crafting? Is it something that exists? Something new? a twist
1: Ooh. okay so smugglers run is the first one that comes to mind smugglers run is the perfect ride it gets your heart pumping but it's interactive and there is an objective like i i grew up going to cedar point you know cedar point we're both near it uh cedar point for those the that are uninitiated it is the self-proclaimed roller coaster. it has held multiple world records for the most roller coasters the tallest roller coaster it's it's all over the place the place is quite literally just roller coasters and food i have been a roller coaster fanatic my whole life and you know i'm i'm specifically saying roller coaster fanatic smugglers run is not a roller coaster it is an interactive ride and it's the first interactive ride I've ever been on. And it just captured so much wonder for me. And it was so much fun. Like, I cannot overstate how much I enjoyed the first time running it. And then going on it the second time, realizing I had the same amount of fun. <laughs> like, it was not diminished knowing what's about to happen. Um so I think something similar to smugglers run. I don't, I don't want to steal the, the star Wars thunder. I would also want it to be a little bit more interactive and I would probably have it be some sort of practical skill. Almost, almost like I'm, I'm pulling this one out of thin air. Like imagine yeah. more of a true, like F one experience. So like Ooh. you have, and, and it's like, you can go from autopilot to full control. Now, there's already a game out there for PS4 F1 2020 does that where you can, you can invest in a full rig. Right. And it's you you, sky's the limit is, or you could just play with the controller, but being able to not only have this interactive experience, you feel it in your body. You hear it like everything. It, It fires on all cylinders, but it also is something that can teach you something that is practical, something you, you could technically you know get up and then you know go go go-karting and then potentially have learned a little bit and like know how you want to cut corners on a go-kart course
0: (laughs) so better better drifting hey it's it's i'm all about that (laughs) i love that answer i love that answer it's uh cool well i can't wait to uh go to your amusement park it's okay that you only have one ride but uh hey i'd I'd like to ride it for the rest of my life too Uh, we could talk about uh, uh, foodstuffs and and Dole Whip and all kinds of things like that later. But, so. mm,
1: I cannot wait to go back to Disney. <laughs> it's
0: going to be so fun. Uh,
1: the- well. Theoretically, theoretically, we're going back in October. I like <sighs> fr- friends of ours have gone recently again for for their honeymoon. So like we have a good idea what what the COVID precautions are and everything, but it's it's still going to be a little different.
0: It is, it's, uh, and honestly, I'm so excited to, to get back to that. I had, uh, we had a, uh, my, my partner and I, we had a trip planned out to, to go to Hawaii for her birthday. Um, It was just, I think it was in April uh, when everything shut down in March. So, so yeah, we're going to go to Alawani. That's right. So bummed about that. I I remember you came out and uh, when, when was still working at Disney studios and uh, got to, we got to have the behind the scenes tour and everything. That was so much fun. So much fun to do it again here soon but uh awesome soon well uh thank you so much for for joining for this HashiCast, jeff a very special edition uh maybe maybe we'll show this in like 3d or 4d even though it's just sound <laughs> uh do you have any uh parting words of wisdom for us or uh or just fun slogans or, or mantras that you that you want to impart on uh on the listeners
1: oh now you're giving me another thing to think about <laughs> i i will say this it's okay to be not okay and just try and have fun if you can like that's 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 how i'm trying to live life right now try and have fun and it's okay to not be okay
0: i love it i love it you heard it here folks thank you so much for listening thank you for joining and uh we'll see you next time thank you
1: bye